Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are present. And we just invite you to be with us right now and to hear your voice and to know your friendship, to know your encouragement, to know uh, more clearly what it is you mean for us to live so that kingdom of heaven might be in our lives and present among us. So Holy Spirit, you're welcome. And will you surprise us with your truth and with uh, your, your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. So life is a paradox. You know that. Life with God is a paradox. The closer you get to God, the, the weaker you feel. The further away from God you are, the more significant you feel you need to be. Does that make sense? Um, when you don't know God very well, you're very much aware of yourself and everything about you. And you spend most of your time trying to justify your existence. And we spend a lot of our time trying to, to work out how we can be valued. The closer you come to God, the more you realize that you're valued because he thinks you're actually pretty cool because you're his son or his daughter. And for most of us, in fact, everybody, there's a, a process of healing that continues all our lives as God has to recalibrate um, the messages that we grow up with, the messages that we actually live with. It doesn't come uh, naturally to us to know that we are of value not at a deep level, that actually causes us to live free. And so we were talking in the last few weeks, we, were going, we, uh, we go through Luke, and then I tend to springboard off Luke as some themes come out. And we spent some time talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus came to the disciples, the, the disciples came to Jesus. And I've introduced, I think, the last three weeks like this, but I'll do it anyway. The, where the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray as John the Baptist did. And John the Baptist was their frame of reference. John the Baptist was a man who, who knew God, who loved God, who was Jesus' cousin, and who prayed about God's judgment on the people of Israel and saw God's presence coming into, the, into that region as judgment and as uh, it's high time these guys were taught a lesson. And his whole sense of God was one of power, one of a God who, who cares deeply about Israel and the world. But it was a limited vision because he didn't have a revelation of God as Father, as God of love, as God of forgiveness, as Jesus had come to reveal. So when John saw Jesus, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. And even that, he probably didn't realize what he was saying. All he probably really knew was he had come to the end of what he could do, which is a good place to come, particularly when you're in the presence of Jesus. It's a good place to come to that going, I don't know. All I know is I don't know. It's actually a good place to live. But this I know that he is trustworthy. So I'm okay with not knowing. One of the places of real growth is that place. Um, and so when Jesus responded to the disciples' request of teach us how to pray like John, um, I think he said, and it's not written down, but it's implied, I think, he said, no, I'll teach you to pray like I pray. And he started with, Father in heaven, holy is your name. The first person in the scriptures to come before God and say, Father. And he says, I'm inaugurating, I'm breaking into a whole new place. You don't have to go to the priest and make a sacrifice. You can come before him and say, Father, on the basis, 
He didn't explain this then because it was still being worked out, but he was going to be the sacrifice. So on the basis of what he did, I come. And the only thing I have to do is recognize that in me, I don't, I, c I can't come before God the Father as I am. I need to come through Jesus because Jesus is the place where going through passport control, I get cleaned up. It's called grace. And it always is required. So sometimes people say, well, I don't feel God. And you go, you probably don't because you probably haven't come to the cross. The only way you can come into God the Father's presence is through the blood of Jesus, the cross. But a lot of people just go, that's the whole Christian gospel. It's just a bloody mess. Sin, confession, forgiveness, and that's it. You go out and you live your life, make some more mess, so you come back to the cross and say, thank goodness I can get forgiven. And God goes, oh, that's depressing. I've dealt with your sin, but you're going to sin for the rest of your life. And I will deal with it for the rest of your life. But could you please move into the promised land? That's why I talk and people get offended. I, I said this in a group of clergy and they t I got a tut-tut-tut because I said the cross is like a shower. Oh, no, it's not. Theological sort of flashlights going off everywhere. I said, yes, it is. I didn't argue there. I've learned a few times. Don't bother. But it's like a shower. It's basically the cross is the place where you get clean along the way. I've said this many times, but I'm going to repeat it because I think it's so ingrained in us. I don't go to God every week and go, I'm so, every day, I, I have to have a, a shower today. I mean, I got dirty. Forgive me. He goes, are you, are you nuts? I know that life on earth causes your body to get dirty. That's why you wash. So go ahead and do it. And use some bath salts, enjoy it. And so you have in your home a place for getting clean. People don't go, They've got, a, they've got a washroom. They would rather go, you, you mean you're not having a washroom? Well, we're embarrassed to admit it. We need it. The cross is the same. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is you have washrooms in your house. The cross becomes the place where you get cleaned up with God quickly. And God says, for, well, you know, that's why my son came. But my son came not just to clean. You don't just get clean in your washroom so that you can be clean, I presume. I mean, some of you had showers this morning, baths, got dressed to sit around or to go somewhere. God is calling his church into action. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere where we've never been before and you're invited. And the more you protest and say, I'm not worthy, the more they say, get in the shower and shut up. Get over yourself. Really, I, I think a lot of Christians need to be slapped around and say, just go and have a shower and shut up. Get on with it. Right? No amens to them. It's called grace, you twit. It's grace. Just get grace and get on. That wasn't meant to be in this either. I'm, uh, what am I talking about this morning? I'm really talking about that Lord's Prayer where, where Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer as a kind of, this is the kind of thing you can talk to me about and the Father about. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Your kingdom come. Forgive us my sins as we forgive others. There's a qualification on that. Give us today our daily bread. Thank you that you're my provider. And then he tells that story, which I've told every week for the last three weeks, of the guy who does, his friend comes to ask for bread. He doesn't have any bread. He goes to a friend 
in the middle of the night and says, friend, can you give me bread? And he says, no, I'm already asleep. And friend, and there's a whole discourse there. And then eventually he comes down and he says, because of your sort of obstinate sort of, uh, your, your persistence, you'll get bread. And then he says, uh, ask and seek and knock. They were all proactive things, by the way. There's none of this, Lord, if it's your will, could you have my friend open the door? Could you have him call me up and offer me bread at two in the morning just because? You know how many things God wants to release to us? And he says, the reason they're not released is because you're so lazy and so frightened. You're sitting around waiting for me to deliver it with you sort of, you know, UPS. And I'm actually saying to you, you get up and go and get it. It's called the kingdom culture. The kingdom culture is about what do you want? Ask for it, knock, go and receive it. If it's not what I want to give you, I won't give it to you. But most of the time, I'll give you more than you imagine. I'd like your interaction. And so the friend gives up and gives him the bread, and he says, ask, seek, knock. And then at the end of that, he says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit is the presence and the power of Jesus today to help us live in ways we absolutely cannot do without his presence. So we're springboarding off that because I want to spend maybe two weeks looking at what the Holy Spirit does and why he's so important. And we find that in, in Acts where, where um, the Holy Spirit was released because the Holy Spirit is the power to be Christian to be disciples of Jesus. And you have the disciples of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, being called by Jesus and then following Jesus and interacting with Jesus and doing things in the name of Jesus and actually doing miracles and healings and then coming to the cross and all running away. And I think you have in the, in the, in the Gospels uh, Jesus front and center demonstrating what it's like for a human being to be filled with the Spirit and the disciples following Jesus, demonstrating what it's like to not have a clue what it's like, and continually wrestling with Jesus, wrestling with themselves, beginning to rise up and say, oh, we got it now, and then crashing until after the crucifixion, their whole mindsets and paradigms are broken open. And I just say to you, if you think that becoming Christian or following Jesus isn't going to challenge your paradigms, you're not going to follow a Jesus who's very big or very radical. You'll just follow a religion. You can tell the difference between somebody who's started to die and somebody who hasn't died yet. People who haven't died know a lot in their heads, but they don't have a lot of power in their lives. They're quite opinionated. They're not very humble. They have a lot of reactions to things, but they don't actually lay it down and serve. It's not difficult to see. They've always got good reasons why they cannot quite go that far. But ultimately, they're imprisoned by fear and self. And Peter, my favorite disciple, is a guy who was the most, one of the most honest, I think, in the pages of the Scriptures. And if you, we're going to come, go and look at him uh, next week as well. But Peter uh, is so changed when the Holy Spirit, after the resurrection, Jesus says, I will pour out my Spirit. And so go and wait in Jerusalem until you've received power. Because... Knowing about me isn't going to empower you. Knowing about me is going to be able to, is going to enable you to tell stories 
about what happened when I was alive. And you can tell stories and say, when Jesus was alive, this is what he did. When Jesus was alive, this is what he did. Let's have a Bible study about when he fed the 5,000. Isn't that wonderful? And then what? Well, we just remember, thank you, Lord, for Jesus, and thank you that he fed the 5,000. And that's it. Next week, we'll have a Bible study about the wedding of Cana. Oh, yeah, he changed water into wine. He was wonderful. And Jesus struts around in heaven saying, they're having Bible studies about what I did, Dad. And you go, what's the point of that? Now they're just a more educated bunch of people without any power. My point was not to send you into the world so they could just see what you could do with me in you and then they carry on living like you never came. You following me? Not really. All right. This is, by the way, actually encouraging. Just a little perversely encouraging. What part is not going to be encouraged is the part of you that's human, that wants an ego and doesn't want to die. That, that part's not going to be encouraged. But if you've got any handle on reality, you'll be really encouraged because it'll be a relief. Oh, thank goodness. I thought it was about me for a minute. So the, the, the encouraging thing is that you, you can't be bad enough to be disqualified and you'll never be good enough to qualify. You, you can't be weak enough not to be able to be used by God. And the only liability will be your, your arrogance and your opinions and your so-called strength. That will get in the way. So, Pentecost comes. They're in this room and, and they're, they're pretty... No, before we get to Pentecost, Peter, this is what I love, because he screws up all the time and he actually is meant, he's made to look pretty good but he actually screws up completely. Do you know that? In, the first, in, in Acts, what happens? They're sitting in the room. They're, they're, in, the, they're in the room, and pretty understandably, they, they're, they're nervous. They've seen Jesus. He's been resurrected. Then he's ascended, so he's gone. And now they're waiting, and Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. And he, just, he doesn't even say, you know, wait six weeks, which is what it was about. Six weeks is a long time when you don't know whether you're going to be killed by Romans. And you start saying, was that a dream? Is this real? And he says, wait in Jerusalem. Some of you here sitting right now are waiting for God to show you something and it's been three days and you're getting really frustrated. Could be six weeks. So relax. Why? Because sometimes God will wait six weeks until you actually let him give you an answer. Sometimes he'll wait six weeks because he says, you want the wrong thing too much. I need to get your hands off that. And time is the only thing that's going to do it. What we're going to talk about in the next few weeks is God's actually more concerned about character than anything else. And he's not going to trust you with stuff until he can build the character to hold what he wants to give you. Because many of us take hold of, we want the, the cool stuff, but we don't want to put in the time. So Peter and the disciples are waiting in the upper room there. And typical Peter, I think, he must come to the point of saying, we've got to do something. So what does he say? There are only 11 of us, Judas, uh, betrayed, and he's dead. We need to replace Judas. So let's draw lots and see who God wants. So they draw lots, and it falls on Matthew, who becomes the 12th disciple, according to Peter's wisdom and their wisdom, because that's all they knew. This is what we've done before. It's a very strong case to suggest that God's 12th disciple was actually Paul. But they didn't wait long enough. 
So they took matters into their own hands, and God probably goes, it doesn't really matter. We'll have 13. Oh, it's unlucky, not, on my, not in the kingdom. He didn't beat them up. He just said, never mind. But I think the Holy Spirit get, better get poured out before Peter does some more damage. So, vroom, they all blow up and have fire on their heads and start speaking in tongues. And, you know, they were speaking to the level that, by the way, tongues, I think, is the, is the language of the kingdom. It's like you speak French in France. It's really interesting, people who think they're in the kingdom. It's like being in France and say, I don't speak French. Why? Because I don't believe in it. Oh. But half the kids in the kingdom apparently don't speak the language because it, it offends them. Can't understand it. You're not meant to understand it. You get in the way all the time. The kingdom comes from heaven to earth, and you're just a channel through which it wants to flow, and really your understanding it totally inhibits it. That's why God releases tongues, where he can speak through you without you interfering. Well, I find that very offensive. Yeah, and God finds you very offensive, so who's going to win? Your mind is the size of a pinhead, and it really can't fathom God or his ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts, and yet you quote the scripture, but when he does something, you, are, you get all ticked off like you're God. Speak in tongues. Hunger for it. Submit your understanding. If you're not walking on water yet, you need something more. Humble yourself. Get hungry for more. Let God work. Lighten up. You're not that good and you're not that bad. Tell the person next to you, lighten up for God's sake. Lighten up. The kingdom is wonderful. The kingdom is wonderful. Speak the language of the kingdom. I know where I'm going. We're leading somewhere, believe me, this morning. Didn't quite know I was doing this way, though. I better hurry up, otherwise we'll be here a long time. We'll have to have the feeding of the 5,000. So, so, so let, me, let me speed this up here. So, so Peter stands up after the outpouring of Pentecost. They're speaking in tongues, and they're speaking so loudly that people in the streets hear, by the way. It's not very polite and quiet and gentle. It's actually probably quite explosive. And, and, and so people's... And, and Peter then stands up, and for the first time probably in his life, he speaks sense. And he actually interprets this whole event, and he goes, where's this coming from? I mean, uh, and everybody else must be, Peter? You're actually making, making sense, and you're quoting scripture. You're the fisherman from Galilee. Do you understand what happened there? Four years maximum. Peter was cleaning nets, fishing. In Galilee. Couldn't read or write. Three and a half years later, he's in Jerusalem, a total fish out of water, 3,000 feet above Galilee, speaking about the scriptures and ready to stand up in front of anybody and declare Jesus. Now, that's not transformation. Three and a half years, by the way, not 20 years. The Holy Spirit release something in Peter that the world could not overcome. Very cool. But the word from the Lord to you and me is, I promise you one thing about Christianity, it's not a spectator sport. What I did in Peter, I can do in anyone. And if I can do it in Peter, I can certainly do it in you. What we're going to talk about next week is God had to work with Peter's character one-on-one.
And if you want to see God working in your life, let him meet you in your life, in the nitty-gritty of your relationships. And what's going on in your life is where he will mold you. He's not as spiritual as you are. He's very down to earth. And the circumstances of your life right now are exactly what he wants to use. He's not going to rescue you. He's not going to get you out of them. He's going to take you through them. And he says, you can stay there for a week or a month or a year. I love you deeply, but you'll, when, you, when you listen, you'll get out of it. I'm speaking from somebody. I can give you a lot of war stories. He doesn't make any exceptions. I pleaded, I promise you, for years. He won. So they came into, they came, the, the Pentecost, G, Peter starts explaining everything, and the first miracle of Acts is the transformation that took place in those disciples. Carry on quickly. The, the second uh, miracle that happened was their relationships with one another, because we read in the next uh, few paragraphs how they met together and they shared the resources they had, and they, they just went, nothing else matters. In fact, that's one of the things, the turning points, I think, for Peter when he was on the wrong side of the cross with Jesus. When, when Jesus gave them a tough teaching and most of the people left and Jesus says, are you going to leave as well? And Peter turns to him and says, where will we go? Have you come to that place yet where you, 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 you're beginning to be convicted there is nowhere else you will find life? You have to come to that place. And if you don't, you know, we, we, we get there in different ways, but that's a, that's a crucial way where I just realize there's nowhere else. And so it, they, they, they shared all they had. And, I, and, I, and the reason for all of that buildup is because when Peter comes to the temple gate with John one day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's got a lot of history to it. It didn't just happen out of the blue. Because when they met together, the people were amazed at the signs and wonders that the disciples did, the apostles did. So I'm, I'm actually sort of speaking backwards because I'm going to go backwards next week. But the, I'm just wanting to talk about this incredible answer of praying the Lord's Prayer and then how much more will the Holy Spirit be given to those who ask and then what it looks like. And what we see in Acts is what God is actually saying to every single one of us. You can do that. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Well, then you... Do you want to be a doctor? Yeah. Well, go to university. Oh. Oh. I just want to be a doctor. Go to university. I want to be an engineer. Go to university. I want to be a policeman. Go to university. Oh, man. I just want to do something. You can do something, but you've got to do something else to get to that. Have you worked that out as being the same in Christianity? Have you worked out why you're so childish and why things aren't growing in your life? You've got to go to university. You've got to go and let him mold you into being able to hold that. That's our function. This is meant to be a sort of seedbed, growing, hothouse, facility for growing what is not yet. But it doesn't look spiritual. It just goes, you tick me off. You this, I don't feel like doing that. I'm not coming today. I'm That's all the growing actual potential. Committing to things, showing up at things, letting God work through things, dealing with relational issues. That's the growing that's required for the spirit called loving one another as I have loved you. It's not spiritual. It's just relational. But it's cool. So, Peter and John, and, and this is very 
Holy Spirit, come and turn the clock back. They come to this guy who's, who's, who's crippled from birth, and he's begging at the temple gate. He's been doing it for most of his life. They usually put the kids out there about four years old. Still do it. And Peter and John are walking to the temple gate. They've done this many, many times. We don't know why it's today, but it's Tuesday, apparently. That's what Graham Cook would say. Just an ordinary Tuesday. Three o'clock in the afternoon, and this guy shouts out to them and says, Can I, you know, money, 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 money? And Peter and John stop. And Peter says something to him. He says, Look at me. Did you say that exactly? Look at us. So the man, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he took him, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It's an amazing picture. Just like Jesus. Peter, just like Jesus. Now that's what I want. That's different. That's impressive. Peter said to him, look at us. It had taken him three and a half years to be able to say that. Three and a half years of a journey like he had never been on before. A journey through brokenness, a journey through revelation, a journey of coming to terms with what he couldn't do. Because he was the man who ran away from the cross after saying, trust me, Lord, I'm your man. It took him to the place where, as John's words were prophetically said, he had learned how to decrease because he saw what happened when he increased in Jesus' presence. Get behind me, Satan, was said to him. Upon this rock, I will build my church, was said to him. You will deny me three times, was said to him. It's dangerous to follow Jesus. He nails you. He says, there's only room for one of us to be God, and it's not you. So Peter says at the temple gate, he says, look at us. And for the first time, we see Peter as a man filled with the Spirit. He knows who he is. He knows what he contains. He's a man on a mission. He's a man with courage. He's a man who knows the risen Jesus. And all heaven is going to break loose through him. And Satan has ravaged this man. He's taken away everything of his life and made him into a beggar who's despised. And Jesus says, that's the man. Let's start with him. Rise him up. Raise him up. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Give him what you have, Peter. God's calling his church into that. I want to go and do ministry in the marketplace. I want to go and share the love of Jesus with people in the marketplace. Go, do it. Give them what you have. Got a CD. Uh-uh. Take nothing with you. No DVD players. No books. No televisions. Shoot, what do I do? Give them what you have. What do you mean what I have? Well, give them what is inside you of the kingdom well there isn't anything well that should tell you something go and get it where do I get it humility teachable go and ask somebody to help you they shall know them by their fruit there's no excuse 
It's the test of all tests. It's not a condemning word, this. It's just, it's the test of all tests. What have you got? Why haven't you got it? I don't have it because I didn't spend any time. Okay, now you know. I'm not condemning. I'm just inviting you to get some. I'm so busy going to meetings, I never actually do anything. And then I'm afraid. He says, yeah, that was just like Peter. We had a few chats. We worked it out. I can work it out with you. I just want to get your attention. I mean, you remember you sang about his majesty, 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 majesty. He says, why would you sing about majesty? You only understand majesty when you understand your need for it. You only sing majesty when you go, oh God, thank you so much that you rescued me. And I can only go, thank you so much that you rescued me when I realize that I need rescuing. And then when I'm rescued, I go, you know what? He rescued me. He says, yeah, and I don't talk about that for the rest of your life. Let's get on. I rescued you for a reason. Go and rescue other people. Oh, I thought I could live on that for a long time. I'm wanting to, I'm praying that God will make you hungry for more. Not condemned at all. There's nothing condemning in this word. But it is about challenge for more. And Peter said, look at me. And so I want to ask you, when you go to somebody, can, they look, can you say that to them? Look at me. I give you what I have. Rise up and walk. Be filled with the Spirit. Be forgiven. I give you what I have. And this guy's holding on to them, and he's dancing and leaping and praising God, and everybody's going, whoa, we recognize that guy, and that's so cool. And they get drawn in front of people in Solomon's colonnade, and what does Peter say there? I'll finish with this. They go, these guys are amazing. I'm going to start the Peter and John Ministries.org. And he's written three or five, you know, 15 books in the last week. It's amazing. Get his webcast. No, what does Peter say? He says, why do you look at us as if we could do this? He starts off saying, look at us, because God's going to release his spirit through them. When the fruit is there to see, he says, don't look at us. It's all Jesus. I know who I am. Believe me, I cannot do that. I know who I am. But in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, through whom faith comes, this man got up to walk. So what's Jesus ultimately saying to you and to me? He says, you know, if you let me work in you and through you, I will do things that cause you to just go, I, I don't understand. But isn't that cool? He honored my trembling hands. And he did something that I never thought he would do. He used me to help a blind man see or a lame person walk. Peter didn't go to university. It was with him three and a half years. You don't need to know much. You just need to know you can't and he can. That's pretty much it. And then say, how do I do this, Lord? We'll talk about that next week. Where do we land this today? What's going on in your heart right now? Acts 5 verse 12 the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed fishermen and tax collectors and another motley bunch of people who just had learned that Jesus is powerful. Let's stand.